0: So before we start this episode of the Emotion at Work podcast, I have a confession to make. When recording this episode, I made the schoolboy error of leaving my mobile phone both on and next to the mic. So what you have during the course of this podcast, when I'm speaking anyway, is the annoying... Do, 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 of a mobile phone going off in the background. I've done everything I can to to minimise its impact and to get rid of it as much as I can, but it is there. Um, and I thought I'd let you know at the beginning because if that sort of stuff really annoys you, then you can turn off now. Otherwise, what you're about to hear is a really, really fascinating interview about the role of emotion and purpose in the workplace. So I'm hoping that the content's going to be that good that you'll cut me some slack and accept my schoolboy error, and I promise to have learned from my mistakes. Anyway, back to the podcast. Hi, this is the latest episode of the Emotion and Work podcast and we get geekily excited about the world of emotion, credibility, deception and the workplace. Thanks very much for listening and here comes tonight's episode. Hi, welcome to this uh, edition of the Emotional Work podcast where we get um, very excited about interviewing lots of different people um, about different, uh, how their view of of the world of work and uh, in particular the world of emotion and or credibility and or deception kind of features on that. And for today's episode, I'm delighted to have um, a guest who's here to talk to us primarily about the the role that emotions and purpose can have uh, in an organisation. So he's a he's a managing director by profession, but he's a finance director by training, um, which is something that we're going to to pick up and explore as we go through. Um, but also somebody who is really passionate about building uh, building organisations with a with a purpose at the heart of it. So for today's podcast, I'd like to welcome along Ben Fletcher. Hi Ben. Hi. How are you? Very well, thank you. And you?
1: Yeah, great. Looking forward to our discussion.
0: Wonderful, thank you. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, so. Uh, what, to, what I thought would be really useful to help us out with, um, just help out the listeners, I guess, in particular. So start with telling us a bit about you um, and um, sort of where purpose comes from for you, where that, where that began.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so a little bit about my background. I've had uh, a business career for the best part of uh, 20 years after uh, graduating armed with a history degree. And the majority of that time, and certainly the first... 14, 15 years was spent, as you've alluded to, as a finance guy you know, in two different companies doing all sorts of different roles. And then I made the move into general management, most recently uh, as managing director of Boots Opticians. And I've been lucky, I think, to work for, for companies that are very much led by their values and in a way, being able to take that for granted. And when I got to a position where I was the senior leader for the finance function within an organization, I was very keen to make sure that we had a clear set of uh, values through which we were gonna lead the function, that Mm -hmm. that aligned really well with what the broader company was doing, and as part of that, Dialogue. I was challenged by a couple of members of uh, my my immediate team to go one stage further and really define what the purpose was. And if I'm honest, at the time I wasn't a hundred percent clear what they meant. Mm. Um, and I could see, however, that it was something they felt very passionately about and thought it would be a value. And so, on that basis, I was really open-minded to learning more and to seeing what this could add and so we went through a a process that that these couple of team members led with some external support to really Hmm. see could we define a purpose for the finance function and it was just incredibly valuable and i think took us to a different level and and in a way allowed certainly me and i think the broader team to articulate a role that we all felt was there but had never really been able to verbalize um, and that was the, the job of an outstanding finance function is to create the future of their company. And that understanding or that de- the defining of that purpose, I think, really helped transform our sense of, actually our sense of ourselves mm. and also give us something we could take out to what was a 300-strong finance team. And say this is our this is our role and this is the role as we define it in terms of being a really positive contribution to the to the broader business sorry I was
0: gonna say I I find that really fascinating in terms of because if if I think about how you know I'm quite lucky I get to speak at conferences and, and, and listen to people talk about lots of different topics and there's almost this kind of Stereotypical version of a of a finance leader, or you know, or even of a finance function that's you know quite um, stoic, quite straight laced, very kind of numbers driven, Um, and some of the you know what you're talking about there in terms of um, you know creating a a something that allowed you to, to to clearly define what the what the function was about in a way that transformed. Um, the way that the, the function looked at itself. That, that sounds like a very non-typical finance thing, really. I think
1: that's right in, in, in some ways. Hmm. I, I've been lucky in that I, I, I had seen and been part of, particularly in the first part of my career, a finance function that did play that broad role and was accepted for playing the broad role, but without ever having to articulate it. Okay, and it was almost it was almost an organisational aspect that was taken for granted. Okay, and I learned that that wasn't normal. <laughs> um, and in in a, in a way, finance puts it puts itself in a box, um, and the organisation sometimes around it is happy to have it in a box. And. What, what this allowed us to do is to be able to say we were a lot more than an accounting and reporting function.
0: Mm.
1: It doesn't say that we're not that, because if you're in the job of creating the future of your company, actually really good governance yep. is part of that, an iron grip on what's going on is definitely part of that, great planning is part of that, real expertise in tax, treasury, accounting, uh, accounts payable. Mm. All of these things are absolutely necessary. What it did was to actually, I think, I mean, certainly was our experience, was first of all, it helped us really honor that expertise. Yeah. And, and secondly, give it a role. And to say to the organization at large, um, you've got permission, mm-hmm. in a way, um, If you're the accounts payable clerk, or the accounts receivable clerk, or the treasury accountant, nobody's going to know that role better than you. And there's therefore an expectation, because what we've now said we stand for, that you're going to take that expertise and bring it to bear in a way that moves us on. Um, what, What I think it also did was, in many finance functions, there's a debate about business partnering. Okay there's a business partnering part of the function, that's the way they articulate it, Um, and then there's the other parts of the finance function. And I always personally detested the term um, business partnering. Um, And what what defining an overarching purpose did was um, actually eliminate the need for all the different terms. Okay. The job of everyone in the finance function was to help create the future of the company. If that meant that you were embedded with the trading team um, or the brand team, then your job was to bring brilliant financial analysis. If if, if you were in a shared services, and your job was to ha- kind of help us move our processes forward in a way that allowed us to be more efficient in how we managed our cash or close the books quicker or run a better planning process. Mm. So it allowed everyone to take part on the same terms.
0: I think that is important when you're looking to build a culture. And and what did that do in or what did you notice in terms of how that affected the way people felt about working in that finance function?
1: Well I think I think it opened up a sense of possibility. Hmm. And I think it also helped bring the function more into the mainstream of the business we had a positive, active, constructive role to play hmm. and could do more than provide other people within the business with a set of numbers.
0: And and I think it therefore helped functional pride. And uh, one one of the distinctions that you made earlier, which I find really interesting, um was the, the, the creating that creating that sense of purpose of you know, the, mm. a, an outstanding finance function creates value for the company. Um, it wasn't at the exclusion of the kind of recognition of the expertise that those different aspects of the business bring. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I, I get really fascinated about when it comes to the workplace in particular is, is the identity or identities that both people take for themselves but also that the organization allows them to take. So, um, I can, I can imagine, you know, having not worked in finance, but worked in HR. And when I listen to you speak, I hear some similarities between, you know, how a finance function may be viewed and structured and and how a HR function may be viewed and structured. Um, but that idea of, of, um, still continuing to value my expertise, but actually Mm. reworking my identity to be somebody that, that deliver, that creates value for the company, um, how did you find the you know those within the function kind of responded and worked with that is that something they were willing you know they ran towards and wanted to really grasp hold of or did some people struggle with it a little bit or how did that work? Um, that's a good, I think that's
1: a really good question I think whenever you define with real clarity what you stand for hmm it's it's never the case that 100% of the organisation turn around and say yes i get it and i want to go there
0: okay yeah
1: um, my, my experience on the on, on the finance one specifically was that actually a lot of people approached it with curiosity which is in a way all that was needed for for, for some people it definitely pushed them well out of their comfort zone however if you have enough people who can understand it be supportive of it be willing to come with it then you you don't need a majority you need a critical mass and i I think stuff started to happen which gave it momentum and therefore you need those early adopters you need the people who are going to come with you, and you need to support those colleagues uh, because they're the ones who will help make it happen and persuade others. Um, and I think also you re- it's, it's so important to understand that an organisation can only respond to what you do. It, it doesn't really respond to what you say, and therefore it's not enough to say it. Saying it is important. But you have to back that up with tangible action that says, well, we said we were this, as a consequence of that, we've made the following decision and we're implementing it this way. Mm -hmm. And because that's that in the end, that positive tangible action is what gives it credibility.
0: And and in terms of that that particular thing that you just said there around an organisation can only respond to what you do and what yeah. you say is important. But when you when you use the word organisation there, you, were you talking about the finance function as an organisation, or were you thinking about the wider business, or, or both? Both, hmm. both. Um,
1: I think it's an organisational truth generally. Yeah. Whether you're leading a, a function or a company, um, and and if I think like the finance function example, the the evidencing of it. First off, to, to to finance colleagues so that they can believe it, and secondly, for the organisation t- to feel it. What w- what we didn't do is go around telling the rest of the organisation that you know how lucky they were to have the have a finance function that was there to create the future company with them.
0: Yeah. We didn't so much
1: do that, um, but more sort of evidence it through the work.
0: Okay, so it wasn't you, you didn't go kind of shouting from the rooftops? No, we we're here to create the future for you. <laughs> type of stuff, no, okay. No, definitely not. And and when when you started to to change the way then that the that the finance function interface with the rest of the business, um, I'd like to, to play with that a little bit, I, only because, um, again something you mentioned just now around credibility, you know, and it's it's the things that you do that will you know, and and the consistency in which you do them then that will start to affect your credibility. Um, but one one of my kind of personal mantras I suppose is that that your credibility is never yours to exclusively own so what I mean by that is um your credibility the aspects of it are always um will always reside with other people Mm -hmm. you know so because uh, you know others whether they be individuals or departments or people from within or outside an organization can um limit your credibility um, without your your involvement, you know, yeah. so they they can badmouth you, they can re, you know, set the rumor going, they can be uh, you know really either do it overtly or covertly, I suppose, in a way. Um, so when when you were looking to or when you were changing what you did, which in a way was renegotiating the way the finance function worked with the rest of the organisation, how how did the wider business kind of um, how do they respond to that? Did, was there was a. I asked that similar question about the people within finance. What about within the wider business? Was there a, a similar sort of response from from them?
1: Yes. Hmm. I think I think that's true. It's it, whenever behaviour changes. Um, I, my my experience has been that it it does prompt a reaction, and sometimes that reaction is very positive, and that was certainly part of our experience um, and sometimes it's a bit, oh, what's going on here then?
0: Mm.
1: It's a bit different um, and I think where we were most successful in, in having a different approach welcomed was when we had done a good job of understanding how we could bring this new idea to bear in a way that made a really tangible positive difference for the other party Okay. So, if if, if I was to reflect on it, there were some parts of the business that we really understood where we could make a tangible difference for the better, and we set about doing that.
0: Mm.
1: And by being effective in that and delivering it, we made a difference. Where we had less good understanding, in some ways less good relationships. Mm. We weren't able to identify the quick wins that help secure the support of others, and that's, that was definitely a good learning for
0: all of us. Hmm. So, so we talked a lot about um, about the, your experience then working with within that particular finance function, and you mentioned earlier on that it was almost that you, it was, you felt like it was something you'd had previously, but you'd almost taken for granted and it was only yeah. when you then joined a new organization that you were like oh that that, that sort of stuff's not here so for, yes. for, for, for you as an individual how was that transition and going from uh, an organization where it was it was there but you didn't know it was there to it then not being present I think When you change
1: context, especially when you change for the first time, Mm. it's always a surprise. (laughs) Uh, And um, of course, you look back and think, "Well, you know, intelligently, logically, I could have been better prepared for that." Mm. But I think sometimes you don't know what you take for granted until you experience something different.
0: Mm. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And no, no amount of logic can explain that and so when you first land in a different organisation i think it is quite disorientating for a period of time mm. there are tools approaches uh, techniques that stood me in very good stead and when i reapplied them in a different environment they didn't work <laughs> uh, and so you kind of left with this scratch, kind of head scratching moment where you go well mm, that, that's that's something which I've learned to do really well. And now it doesn't seem to be having the same impact. Mm. I think also it's easy to underestimate when you move from an organization that you've grown up in, how many relationships you have by accident. Because okay. you've grown up in it because you've been known, because you know others and you know how it works, there's an awful lot of shared history. Yes. And shared context and shared appreciation. And when you then arrive in a new organisation, there's none of that. Mm. And I underestimated how important that was. And... Moving from an organisation where I was kind of well known, well understood, you, you would never, for example, have to explain that you were well intentioned.
0: Okay, yeah. <laughs> you know,
1: it, intent was understood. Yes. And accepted and proven. Yeah. When you arrive on day one in a new organisation, you know, everyone's question well, who, who are you? Hmm. And you start to do things, and actually, you don't have a track record that provides confidence and credibility and a a, a shared understanding it's so important therefore to invest that time up front and i i would have done that
0: differently i think Mm -hmm.
1: uh, with the benefit of hindsight
0: yeah and and when i think about um that kind of transition from moving from a company that you've grown up into to somewhere else um i've seen it happen a few different ways so i think uh, as well so it, uh, it, it as well as your example i also um, am familiar with occasions where individuals will use it as a as a kind of chance to to shake free of some shackles that may have been there in a previous yeah. organisation you know so in 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 another one oh, i wasn't i was never allowed to do this i was never allowed to do that you know so that that background um well, that previous context and the background and experience meant that I couldn't do the, any of these things before, but now I'm in a new organization working with mm. new people. Actually, I can, I can renegotiate what I do. I can renegotiate what I'm known for because no, I'm not bringing any of that history or that, um, all that backstory with me, yes. you know, it's something I can, uh, I can create as I go. I,
1: I think, I think that's right. And I, and I've heard other people consciously do that. Um, hmm. It was never. It was never my approach, if I'm honest. Yeah. Um, however, different organisational contexts give you an opportunity to uh, test different skills, um, to push the boundaries, um, and there are opportunities to do things differently. Uh, there are opportunities to see things done in a different way, um, and to understand why. Well, actually, how far can I? Push this skill, push this approach. Uh, equally, oh, hang on a minute! This thing that I used to have it probably quite a high degree of latitude on in a prior organisation. I don't in a new one. Mm. Uh, you know, is, does that bother me or not? <laughs> yeah. Um, and and so I think inevitably by putting yourself in a different context, you get to learn more about yourself and what it is you enjoy and don't enjoy.
0: So I think that that gives a good link then, or good opportunity to link across to to the next change in context for you then, which you mentioned earlier was then moving from from finance across into more general management yeah. um, aspect. Um, so tell us about that transition then. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry, that was a really big broad question that has loads of stuff in it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, it
1: was it was exciting mm. actually. Um, it, it was something that uh, I was keen to do so uh, I was I was grateful uh, to be able to do it mm. I was excited uh, a little bit daunted it, it, no matter how commercially orientated you are as a finance director it is mm. just different yeah um, being a managing director the, the, the breadth of things that you're dealing with the immediacy of them they're very different and I, I, I was relishing that, whilst at the same time, not entirely sure whether I'd be any good at it or not.
0: Mm. I've, not I've not done it before. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, and I was leading an organization where previously I would not been known. OK. So there, there were a number of things going on. Um, but I think I also definitely felt resolved in a way, that there were some things that I believe were important and I was going to do them um, almost, almost no matter what in a way. Yeah. So this is a, it's actually a really great learning opportunity more than anything else. These views of how to run organisations that I, I thought really hard about and an opportunity to uh, test those in a different context. Would they work, would they not? Yeah. Um,
0: I was quite excited about that hmm and and how <clears throat> of, of that list of things that you wanted to kind of uh, try out and and, and play with and <clears throat> see if they worked see if they didn't where, where did purpose kind of sit on that list for you then Is, was well, it... purpose was
1: purpose was number one okay purpose was number one i I become uh, a real advocate based on the, the experience of bringing purpose to a function that it would be a real key enabler, and very early on in my tenure, I started to ask the question, why are we here? Um, This was considered a bit esoteric, um, uh, you know, a little bit um, left field. Okay. But actually, I had become more convinced it was really important to answer it as I began to onboard into the organisation where an awful lot of great work was happening. Yet it wasn't clear why. So what was it that linked all of the work? What was it that provided the consistent anchor point? And I felt that getting absolutely clear on what the purpose of the organisation was would... Bring, bring real clarity to that um, and, and a real understanding not not even most importantly for the people who worked in the head office environment, but most importantly for the thousands of colleagues who were on the front line delivering a service to customers every day. Um, mm. the thing the thing I well, one of the things I think gets underestimated is decision making. Okay. Um, within organisations, um, certainly I have seen I have been part of uh, organisational sort of obsessiveness about decision making, uh, where we kind of produce rafts of charts, policies, uh, Gantt diagrams, mm-hmm. um, rasky models, pace models, uh, yeah. whatever you will, racy
0: models, all, all of that. Yeah.
1: And it, it ignores the, um, the the real truth, which, in my experience, which is that the most important decision is the one that is being closest, the one being made closest to the customer. Mm. Um, so you we know, consume vast amounts of organisational energy defining how the head office process is going to work, uh, thousands of pages of policies. And actually, what really matters is when a customer stands in front of a colleague and has a question uh, or a requirement, a need, Mm. what's the response of the colleague? And there are millions of those decisions being made every year right Mm. across the country without any reference to a, a policy document or a Gantt chart. Yeah. And so... It's so important for an organisation to determine what's the framework within which those questions are going to be answered and I felt that providing purpose clarity would greatly assist the decision making, not only centrally, it helped there, but but for all of the colleagues up and down the country who were looking for a guide as to how to get it right because they all desperately wanted to, um, this would be a good answer.
0: Um, can can I rewind us a, a little bit? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because we're, we're talking about um, as an organisation, boots opticians, and the in a way, part of me thinks, well, surely it's easy to work out, you know, why an optician's business exists. Yeah, you know? it's just to you know, we 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 save people's sight or we fix people's eyes or you know, all all, all those sorts of things. Um, so how? Um, you, you mentioned it being esoteric but how, how did the you know those those within the organization was was it easy to under to get underneath that initial one well, it's obvious why we're here <laughs>
1: um actually it was okay because you, you you're absolutely right you know one a wonderful organization that did a, a incredible job um delivering a you know a, a brilliant and much needed service to to customers. At the same time, there are a number of optical providers yeah. <laughs> who would say, "Well, we're absolutely passionate about getting it right for our for our customers and patients." And our first answer to uh, to the question was grounded in care. Okay. So, so the response from the organisation is, "Well, we do it because we care." And I didn't doubt for a moment that that was true. Mm. The question we then posed was, "Do we think anyone else in the industry would answer it any differently?" Um, and uh, we came to the conclusion that what draws people into the whole industry is a desire to care, and so simply saying, "Kind of, we care that we care or we care the most."
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, we care more than you. <laughs>
1: was not a defining answer, and it wasn't an answer that allowed us to make better decisions
0: Mm.
1: and it wasn't an answer that allowed us to align the work and it wasn't an answer that allowed us to take risks and to innovate Mm. and I think if you get your purpose really clear it should allow you to do all of those things
0: Uh, yeah I, I agree um one of the things that, you know, for, for me personally, when I started working with you guys and opticians, um, the the purpose resonated with me from two different perspectives. One from a personal value set point of view, absolutely, it sat with that. But also in terms of from a from an emotional engagement point of view, in that what what it set was a real clear goal. And I know we're, you know, you, I, I, for my purposes, I'm going to use the word purpose and goal here interchangeably. In that, um, by being really clear about this is why we're here, what that then kind of allows people to do is to to harness the the energy and the power that goes with anger as an emotion. And, and what I mean by that is anger as an emotion has is, is evolved because it helps us remove obstacles to goals. So we have something we want to get to, and then something gets in the way. You know, that's the same. Um, reason why you know if we if, if a child has a toy they want to get to and they can't get to it because something's in their way they'll get frustrated to overcome it. And um, if you're driving home and somebody cuts in front of you that you know they're an obstruction to your goal, therefore anger will come as a result. And for me it was a wonderful example of how anger can be used to really drive change in an organization to say we've got a really clear goal here and there are going to be a load of barriers that are in the way a load of things that stop us acting in this purpose led way um help us get rid of them you know help us overcome them remove them knock them down whatever that may be um as a way to to really kind of emotionally engage with um get people to emotionally engage with the purpose does that make sense
1: i think it does uh, it, but when when you're really clear what you're aiming for mm mm-hmm and that is bought into. It then provides a, a threshold, really. Hmm. Um, a thre- a sort of threshold of acceptability. And what definitely happened in my experience was colleagues began to turn around and say, well, we, we believe this, we take it seriously, and if you re- if we're gonna really mean it, this has to, the following has to change, mm. and I think it did un, un, unleash some real positive dissatisfaction. Well, we're just not going to stand for that anymore, then. Are yeah, they? yeah. Um, and it, it moved the energy, and, and what I mean by that is, um, all organisations can sometimes get hung up as to and invest an awful lot of energy as to whether they're going to do something or not. And there were a number of times when, being, having been really clear on the purpose, the debate wasn't whether we were going to do something or not.
0: Mm.
1: The, the purpose demanded that we ought to. The energy then went into, so this is, this is a big daunting thing that we want to go and change it, so how are we going to do that?
0: Mm.
1: But it's much more um, effective putting the energy into the, into kind of, so how do we get this done? As opposed to well,
0: should we do it at all? Hmm. And so, were there some really, were there some sort of strategic decisions that, as a business, you were able to to make that um, weren't necessarily expected but were easy? I think, I
1: think there
0: were. Um,
1: I think. I think there were. I think that um, we were able to quickly get agreement to a different approach to learning and development Mm
0: -hmm. in terms of
1: where it sat in the priority order of the business. Yep. Because there was a recognition that the purpose was delivered to our customers through our colleagues. And it therefore reprioritized where that investment came. Mm. And I think that was a, perhaps another good example of, we, we knew that that decision needed to be made, even when we didn't know what all of the content would be.
0: Yeah, okay, that makes sense.
1: So we made it, we, we kind of ring-fenced money, as it were, um, and then allowed the content to be shaped subsequent to that. So we, we played a very enabling role. And we took decisions such as the one to encourage all colleagues to volunteer more. Mm. We wouldn't have made that decision, I think, as quickly and boldly as we did without having been really clear on the purpose. And and instead of trying to work out what the policy on volunteering was, uh, which we probably would have done in the past, mm. we took an approach that said, you know what, we got loads of great people in the company. Let's just get them to work it out. And so we we just devolved all of that decision making. Mm. You know, the idea that sat in the Midlands, we could effectively uh, guide and monitor the volunteering in Yeovil mm. is just you're kidding yourself. Far better to. Encourage the local team there to take accountability for the decisions they want to make and where they want to volunteer and when and how they want to do it because they can the answer there is going to be different to the one in Glasgow so you may as well let people work it out locally
0: So uh, as we were talking it through there I was conscious that you and I both have a shared understanding as to to what the purpose was for opticians, but our listeners probably don't. So um it might be useful to just to share that in terms of just to let you know because we keep talking about that it set a benchmark, it set a, a standard, and expectation. Um, but those that are, those that are listening probably don't know what that was. So could you just articulate what the purpose was for us?
1: Yeah sure. Um, so the statement was we commit to enrich the life of every person. We're a health optician yet care about a whole lot more. And I think the thing about it was those words meant something to the organisation yeah. <laughs> that don't mean a great deal when you hear them cold for the first time. I think the key attributes were of, of it were um, we commit. Mm-hmm. Um, so a real sense that everyone needs to be in, in on this, um, that we all need to take part, uh, whatever our role is. We all need to be uh, doing what that word suggests, which is being all in for it. Mm-hmm. I think the other aspect of it was really important, which was for every person. And that challenged us to think differently about um, accessibility, um, how accessible we were, um, and were we open for every person? Um, and that, that was a really good discussion for us to have and a good understanding for us to have. And, and to say, you know, we're really concerned with the health aspects of this. And we're going to innovate. Um, in a way that allows us to advance health at, in its broadest sense not just if you like uh, clinical health yeah, but a broader idea of
0: well well-being yeah and that's really what kind of our work and, and linking back then <clears throat> linking that then back to the um to the lack of policy for example around the volunteering aspect i, I, I guess that when it came to you know, saying, right, Yeovil, right, Glasgow, you know, you, you make those calls locally, you, you know, you make those decisions about how you want to... Um, was it, How much time was it for volunteering? What was the...? Uh, two, two days a year. Two yeah. days a year. So how, how you use those two days in Yeovil is up to you, how hey, Glasgow, how you use them. Um, but the need for policing or monitoring... Sorry, I need bringing police in there. So the need for monitoring, which is what you said, um, wasn't there, almost because the purpose itself... Would allow that to happen because if if in Yeovil or in Glasgow, the store manager or the area manager or whoever it is was saying, "Oh no, we can't. No, actually, no. Don't do your volunteering now. Even though you you know even though you said you're going to do it today, you can't do it today because we're really busy." Um, actually, the the purpose itself would allow the allow the self-regulation or the self-monitoring of that to make sure that it was um, it was being honoured. And I don't mean that as in the purpose of being honoured not necessarily the time.
1: Yeah, I, I think it was. I think it was for me very much the sense that um, they knew it best. Mm. Um, you know, the the, the, the idea that um, the idea that we could work out what the best form of volunteering was, the best time of volunteering. Um, I, I I just found that really difficult. You know, we all did. find it difficult to get our to get our heads around. And um, we just um, you know, we just knew that um, if we let our
0: people get on with it um that would be encouraging the right behavior mm. good okay so we <clears throat> so earlier on we, we talked about it, so you as an individual and and that that change of i for one of the best words, that change of identity of moving from one organization to another realizing that there are those aspects that you know, you you had in place that you maybe took for granted that weren't in place in uh, when you moved. Then we talked about how, you know using purpose as a way to to renegotiate the identity of a finance function to one that creates the future for for a company or an organisation. And then you kind of took that then across a, a whole a whole company because you know Boots Optician is is a discrete part of, of the wider Boots organisation. Yeah. Um, so how how did you find? Sort of taking that and and it then applying across a whole organisation rather than just within a function. How did the how did the the business respond and work with that?
1: So it was definitely uh, a different scale of challenge. Mm. I think that um, I think my learning would be. This is where what you say. She does make a difference okay because it 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 is vital I think that in order to just even get the words entrenched they have to repeat be repeated uh, ad hominem mm. uh, I, I think there's a saying that um, propaganda is the art of repetition okay um, and and I just made sure that in everything that I did, we repeated it all the time. So it seeped into the organization as a language. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's really important. What I found helpful as well was to encourage as much direct dialogue as possible. So in every organization, certainly every large organization, there is an element of Chinese whispers.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: So things get lost or miscommunicated or what what you hear on the front line is definitely not what you started out with. Yeah. So the role that things such as podcasts, uh, recordings, uh, telephone conferences, um, video messages, can play in, in ensuring that the message is heard directly mm. I
0: think
1: it's really important. Um, keeping it simple is really important um, and in that articulating linking and making those links really explicit okay. so uh, an articulation along the lines of we are undertaking activity A because it links to our purpose this way is really important to help provide that context. Um, and I think then really encouraging the people who are who are really trying to live it. Okay, yeah. Um, and who are trying to make decisions both locally and nationally that, that help bring it to life. And 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 celebrating that, Um, and 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 celebrating the journey, I think is really important. And and if anything, out of all of that, I'd, you know, I I would do more celebrating.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Because I I guess there were some there were some challenges along the way as well, though I would imagine.
1: Of course, um, yes. When, um, ranging from. R- ranging from one to uh, this word? I think the challenges include the, the big one is the cultural change that comes with it mm-hmm. um, you can have complete alignment at the top of an organisation and then it needs to somehow get through the organisation and um, and in particular if you don't have, a, if you have a let's say a middle manager who sort of doesn't really agree with it or leads in a different way, mm. then uh, that that definitely becomes a challenge. And because you've been explicit about the purpose of the whole organisation, it becomes very noticed. Yes, challenge. Um, things such as, you, no organisation can do everything all of the time, mm. and so there are some things which. For example, the employee forum would turn around and say, well, look, we think we ought to deal with this because if we don't, it's not very purpose-led. And part of my job would be to say, well, you're absolutely right. And, and right now, we can't do it. Mm. Because we've got our hands full with this other set of priorities and, and the conclusion is that they trump that. And that can be quite difficult because everyone's perspective is different. If you're sat in one part of the country or having one particular experience mm. given your role, your, your view of what needs to be done will be kind of relevant to your context. Somebody else's will be relevant to theirs and they don't always align as <laughs> neatly and perfectly as you like. No. So helping explain why those decisions have been made, um, why priorities are being called is, is very important.
0: Hmm. And was there a, um, so I, uh, I can imagine that the moving, no, I say moving, yeah, making the the transition from looking at, at yeah, really being really clear about purpose within a function within finance. To then moving that across a, a whole organisation that, by its you know by the services that it provides is inherently one that you know is about people and caring, and at the same time there's a there's a very real commercial aspect to that. Um, how, how about that kind of balance between commerciality and, and living in a in a purpose led way? How did those two things kind of come together?
1: Well, I- this is a question that gets asked um, a hell of a lot, I think, uh, in relation to uh, purpose led their leadership in a sense that the two are incompatible. And that is that is simply not my experience. Um, I'll try to explain why. No, go on. My experience is... If you're really clear on the purpose and it genuinely drives the work that you do, first of all there is the enormous benefit of organizational alignment. Mm. And anyone who's been in and, and worked as, as I certainly have in organizations that aren't aligned right across my career, you you know how much time, energy and effort is wasted mm. through misalignment. And, and I wouldn't be so bold as to say that purpose clarity eliminates all of that. It eliminates a hell of a lot of it. Yeah. Um, th- the second is if you know what you're all working against, it allows you to innovate. Hmm. Um, and I think there was an innovation acceleration as a consequence of being clear, which in turn translates through to uh, the you know it's, it very definitely has a commercial impact. It also means you can really align your partners. You know, no no company exists on its own. It works with other companies and other organizations. You can align your partners to that and create mutual value. Uh, And I think that's also really important. Um, And in an organization where it's about delivering brilliantly for every customer who turns up, Particularly in a world where, you know, as the millennials come into the workforce, their expectations change significantly. Mm. If you're articulating a purpose that speaks to your colleagues, and part of the feedback you're getting, which uh, we did, was you've reminded me why I got into this in the first place. Yes. You start to retain great people, attract great people. Uh, who in turn deliver mm-hmm. uh, a better service with more expertise and as a consequence there's higher customer satisfaction and that also has a commercial benefit mm-hmm. I, I think what there's also a, a a soft value in a way in an organization hearing year after year the same thing. Uh, and the same anchor point driving all the work. Yeah. If you're in an organisation that sort of chops and changes each year, you know, at the start of each year you move the articulation or you change the goalposts or you come up with a new mantra. It's it, it's hard to go with all of that. And what actually happens is you have a cl- you have a collection of legacy mantras mm. um, that that then everyone just picks the one that they prefer that they've heard over time. Yeah. Um, if, you, if you stick to one you start to really, I think, move the organisation behind it. And I think that really also has a benefit in organisational confidence. Mm. Um, Now, what is definitely true, um, in in my experience at least, is that some of the decisions you make because you're purpose-led do not have an immediate return. You're, You're making them for for a different reason that doesn't mean you go soft soap yes. that doesn't mean you put stuff off it it what it does mean is uh, and certainly the way i looked at it was then there needs to be a longevity here so some of the decisions of volunteering would be a good example did it pay back immediately no
0: mm-hmm.
1: did it pay back definitely but you've got i, I think one of things having a a purpose does is it challenges you to look a little bit over that horizon,
0: and I, and I think that's a real challenge in in both in, in life and in organizational life in terms of the <clears throat> because because yeah because information data um, and, and experiences can be very momentary. You know, so what's you know there could be something happening on the other side of the world right now, and I could find out what it is by you know doing a quick Google search or doing a quick interrogation of what's trending on Twitter. Um, so the 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 fact that things of the moment are often really close in terms of consciousness, that being a, being able to then look up from that and then see into the future, <clears throat> is is a is a task that I think is often overlooked in terms of both individual personal practice, but also then organisational, um, you know, practice and performance as well. I, th- I think that's true, and there's no easy answer to that. Hmm no, I agree.
1: Um, I I think that I think having a purpose really helps, um, but I, th- I think it is really incumbent on whoever sat in the managing director or equivalent role, part of their job is to do that. Because mm. actually nobody else probably will.
0: And, and I think for me that's an, an inherently, and I'm, I'm biased in the way that I, I'll interpret it, but for me that's an inherently emotional thing um, in terms of the, the way that individuals are able to work with the emotive aspects of whether that be fear of you know how the business is performing right now that could be frustration with how the business is performing right now that could be um, you know fear of the future and what what could be around the corner. Um, but that that if, and it'd be interesting to see whether you you agree or disagree. Because I'm happy if you do either of those two things, but for <laughs> me it's inherently an, an emotive aspect of of working as a managing director to to be able to work with both of those. Um, aspects at the same time.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and, and definitely, one of my um, definitely one of the things I learned was that as the most senior person, you, what what the way you behave,
0: mm.
1: what you value, the standards you set permeates permeates throughout the whole organisation, and you have to manage in a way. Your, your own emotions around what's going on of course mm. there are times when <laughs> you're frustrated you want to kind of bang your head against the wall um you know, you've seen something maybe on a on a on a visit around the country and you think what's going on here then um, yeah. but but there's such a responsibility for the way you respond to that will set the whole tone um for the organization i, I, I can remember having a um, I was reminded of this recently having a having a bad day um, in the office of my kind of my HR director turned around and saying you're not loud <laughs> you're, you're not loud yeah, uh, yeah. because if, 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 if you're in a grump uh, that has a big impact
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and she was right she was right um, yeah. and, you know, and, and she was right to call me out on it and I was always conscious of yeah you know, I'm visiting um, a practice, let's say, that, that there's a real chance it might be my one and only visit to that part part of the country for a long time. Mm. Particularly if you're in kind of less accessible places. Yeah, and and therefore the impact that you have is so it is it's so important to be thoughtful about that. What's well, going to be the most constructive, helpful, uh, very clearly purpose-led thing that I can do here today? Um, and, and that's really important
0: and and I'm so pleased that you um sort of you framed it as constructive and, and purposeful um because it, if, if, for me often i think you know that uh the the narrative is that you're not allowed to show how you feel you know you're not, you're not allowed to if so if you happen to walk into into that practice that isn't as you might like it to be, <clears throat> it's not about it's not about ignoring that. Over actually, I need to make sure that I leave everybody here being really happy. It's not about I, I need to. You know, how can I how can I leave here with it being having been very constructive and uh, and continuing to work in a purpose led way. I think that's, I think that's spot
1: on. Is it, well, it's not. is kind of happy clappy. Yeah. Uh, if I put it like that. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> what it is is about going in and saying so we have a shared goal and
0: mm. you
1: know, this is our shared ambition kind of what, what's going on here then, what's getting in your way mm. uh, what's proving difficult, what help do you need um, what, uh, what, what skills are required, what investment is required and what and what are we committing to? So so that by the yeah you know a, within a month, within two months, by the time we come back next time, what 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 will we commit to have done? What do you yeah. need me to commit to? Because I can allocate resources. Uh, what are you going to commit to? Um, because we want this. Because if the start point is we want this to be the best it can possibly be for the people we're privileged to care for, yeah. we'd want it to be great. and So what are we going to do? And of course, that's a far more rewarding uh, dialogue, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, than when you're than almost um, when you're when you're taken to places that have been sort of buffed. Uh, and gleam, um, and it'll be made to look super duper, and you think, "Well, actually, I can't. I can't help in the way that I'm able to. If this is the if this is the sort of vision that's presented to me, simply because you think you ought to, because um, I'm the managing director."
0: Yeah, and I, and I think that that buff and that veneer um, applies both to you know both to people and places. Yes, I think absolutely it can be on the. Uh, on the places that you go to visit that you know they've had an extra extra bit of polish applied that morning um but also I think it can apply to to people within business in terms of you know, uh, the the uh, i guess the, the almost the psychological or the metaphorical buffering um or the buffing sorry that that people may do to to make it um to make that veneer a bit more glossy but actually think- there's not the the depth behind it
1: well I think I think that's an interesting point. Um, I, I just think there is an enormous appetite for authentic leadership. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really do, um, and I think there is a real acceptance, actually, that that from organisations at large, that people aren't perfect, but there isn't much acceptance anymore for people who aren't real, mm. and. You know, I can think of many engagements with colleagues over the years, um, particularly with the employee forum meetings, where I had to put my hands on and say, look, we, we got this wrong. We got we got it wrong with good intent, but we got it wrong, we understand that, and we're going to put it right.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, there were, and, and the honesty of that dialogue was just hugely appreciated. And there is a challenge, because there are still people who definitely believe in, in what I would call sen- senior management sheen. Um, <laughs> I like that, and uh, and I can think of a couple of hugely talented people who were very difficult to help because they couldn't um, they couldn't admit to needing any help. Yeah, <laughs> um, and or, and certainly I struggled to find the trick that would get them to a point where they would say, "Oh, you know what? Yeah, this is quite hard." Mm. Um and and to then open that that dialogue out, but there was no doubt that the challenge to, for them of doing that was going to be a career limiter, which is a shame because they have a lot of talent to go places. but, but organizations I, I don't think will respond to the best of their ability. Um, if provided with leadership, they don't quite see as being authentic. They may see it as being capable, but there's a there's an added level of emotion engagement uh, when people really believe that it's real.
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you know, I I was doing a <clears throat> I was running a session in York not too long ago, and one of the one of the quotes that seemed to, to resonate out with um, that. You know, for me, you can you can be authentic, but depending on the context that you're in, all um, the people that you work with, you can be authentic, but you can lack credibility. Mm. Likewise, the other way, you know, the other way can be true. You can be credible, but you can you know, severely lack authenticity. Um, and then, what sits behind all of those, both of those things, is is your identity and who you are, and and that's made up by a number of different things. And, and you know, we've been playing with that today in terms of organizational identity, um, function identity, personal identity. Um, so you almost have different different aspects of that, and, and you might foreground or background some of those more or less depending on on who you're with. If you yeah. con- you know, and it depends what your concern is. Is your concern about credibility is about authenticity or you know and and how do i split those up if that makes sense yeah i think that's very true Mm. okay all right um so i'm conscious that we've been um i've really loved chatting today it's been so much fun um and uh, but i wanted to kind of bring us to to a close i guess start to wrap things up so um in terms of um Advice then. So I think we've had some practical advice as we've worked our way through. But in in summary, um, any advice that you would share with business leaders, HR practitioners, or or researchers, or anyone that's listening to this podcast, um, any practical advice that you that you want to share?
1: So what um, what helped me was having the support, mm-hmm. certainly the thinking support, of some people who got this okay. and could therefore help me. Yeah. So for anyone who wants to kind of define purpose for their organisation, I would say this is definitely a, one of those things where I'd encourage the accessing of some supportive talent.
0: Okay. Cool. Thank you.
1: Um, I think get, getting clear on what is your role in then taking that to the organisation, the, the MD might have one role, the HRD might have another role, yeah. um, others throughout the organisation will be different as well, but what's the, the the clarity around what your role is in it, I think is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, And I think, particularly thinking through, if as an organisation we live this, what's it going to be like in a year, three years, five years? Mm. What's what's not on, on two aspects. I think one: what will we have done, and hence, what will we look like? Yeah. Be one, and and secondly, how will it have been?
0: Mm.
1: Um, how will it feel? Yeah. Uh, and and I, and I think the other thing is, uh, and and <laughs> this is the hardest. If you if you if you're absolutely serious about being a purpose-led organisation, ultimately you can't have people in it who don't believe. Mm. And that's a journey. Because everyone responds to something different. But you can't ultimately, over time, that's the hard bit. Mm. And you need to make sure as a real priority, particularly if you're doing it at any scale, that every single person you bring in is with the purpose from day one.
0: Hmm.
1: You got that's gonna be a hiring criteria.
0: On yep. So I, I want to ask you a couple of questions about any sort of recommendations of uh, books, videos, talks, or. Um, or anybody else that you think would be useful for us to, to seek out to get, um, to interview for this podcast. But before I do, just to wrap, do a final wrap up for everything that we talked about so far, is there anything else that you're, anything else that you're thinking, anything else you're feeling, anything else you'd like to, to say about all the topics that we've discussed so far? I think
1: the only thing I would say is it's, it's really worth it. Okay, yeah. Um, it, it's not always easy to bring and live purpose to an organisation but it is hugely, hugely rewarding uh, rewarding because of the possibilities that it creates the response it generates mm. um, and and the fact and, and I think also just the, 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 the confidence it generates, I think if you're really clear why an organisation is present and doing the work it is then it does allow an organization to be confident.
0: Wonderful, thank you very much. Okay, uh, any books, videos, um, talks, anything that you, um, you yeah, for people that are interested in, in finding out more, um, wanting to, to do more reading, or just you know, they're curious to. To see what else is, is out there, what any recommendations, and what we'll do is we'll put links to these on the yeah. Yeah, so, on the podcast as well. So, so
1: um, it, I definitely found the um, Simon Sinek video. Yeah. really helpful. Uh,
0: start with why one. Start with why.
1: Yep. Yeah. Um, we when we when we brought it to the organisation, we used the one of the, the the TED talk of the lone nut dancing on the hill. Because we knew that for some people this will be a bit out there. Yep. Um. Well, one of the books that I most enjoyed reading was Connect uh, by John Brown.
0: Okay. I've not read that one.
1: Uh, it's great in in my view um, because what it what it does is it appeals, I think, to the to the audience that needs a logical and rational appeal as well as an emotional one. Okay. Because it it uses great examples to articulate why purpose led leadership is needed now in particular. And 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 I think talks also to the idea of what what's the bank account of credibility that a company has with the public? Okay. And how it's important to tend to that. Because in life, as long as business is conducted by humans, stuff will go wrong.
0: Hmm.
1: Guaranteed, absolutely yeah. guaranteed. Um, the question is, what what does the public know and believe about you through, through the type of organization you are that then allows you to deal with that? And I think it's really important um, for people to wrap their head around that.
0: Okay, thank you. And that's one added to my reading list, so that's good.
1: So I recommend that. Um, and then um, there are. Yeah, I, I I don't know if there's one particular. I wouldn't say there's one particular thing, but that I, you know, I personally found just kind of diving in and out of social media mm. to be helpful. Yep. And, yeah, it's easy on a you know twitter in particular to put yourself in in the way of people who can uh who can offer a perspective
0: okay wonderful thank you and then any any individuals you think we should then track down anyone we should be we approaching to say right you know we'd, we'd love to get to to hear your thoughts on uh, on emotion at work
1: so i um so i think in terms of emotional work um I would recommend a lady called Jan Hills. Okay. I don't know if you know Jan. Um, she is uh, one of the partners at Head, Heart, and Brain. All right. Okay. And what they're really interested in, um, and and I've learned from her, is is the, is almost like the neuroscience of leadership.
0: All right,
1: okay. Fascinating. But 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 in particular, you know, one of the things I like is not in particular, one of the things I really like is um, kind of how how the brain responds through things like threat and reward yeah. social connection mindset and, and how you sort of sustain yourself through things like empathy mm. um, and, and so I think I think she's got a really interesting perspective
0: wonderful thank you I'll let Jan up then anyone else I'm happy with one you know just by yeah, one or, yeah. yeah. I I think she okay. different. Room. okay that sounds good wonderful thank you very much uh, all right then Ben so all that leads me to, to do is say thank you so much thank you for very much for your time today thank you for sharing your experiences um, your your advice your guidance and your support um, as well Any any questions for me before we finish
1: no, that's good. That's good. So, um, did, you, did you? I, I think we spoke
0: last awesome. So, you're going to sort of mash these all up a little bit, or are you going to publish them sort of each in turn? So, we're going to publish them each in turn. So, okay. um, so we'll do a, a dedicated uh, podcast for, sort of for each in, uh, for each individual that we're interviewing as we go. And we've got a combination of um, so we've got more recordings that are happening sort of this weekend into next week with, right. a, uh, again, other sort of business leaders, but we've also got some geeky academic researchers. We've got a forensic linguist um, in the pipeline who's going to be talking to us a bit about um, language and how you know, how people's use of language and words can be used to work out who's saying what. Um, and uh, we've also got uh, another lady who's researching uh, burnout and emotional burnout in the workplace. For her, her context is around um, the police force in particular. Um, but okay. we've got a, a nice... Uh, a nice variety a nice mix of uh, a nice mix of people coming together great okay alright then well thank you very much right. for your time today Ben thanks for your contributions to the podcast series and uh, and yeah we'll, we'll uh, look forward to putting this out on the airwaves soon thank you very much Right. cheers we'll enjoy the awesome. rest of the week thanks Ben Goodbye. bye thanks for downloading this episode of the Emotion at Work podcast where we get geekily excited about the role that emotion credibility and deception take in the workplace